Amen. Uh, I want to encourage you today on Father's Day not just to reach out to your dads. Many of us, uh, many people here, I'm sure, celebrate their dads being in heaven uh, and just the life that they are living there in God's uh, presence. Um, also, take an opportunity as you've had some spiritual dads, uh, men that have invested in your life and have loved you and poured into you. Uh, reach out to them, especially today, just be an encouragement to them. I uh, just wish them a happy Father's Day as well. Um, there are many dads that have uh, superpowers, right? There are, there are dads like my father-in-law. My father-in-law can fix anything. Um, he always has the right thing to say. He's always calm. He doesn't lose his temper. He's phenomenal. Uh, then there's dads like uh, me. Um, different set of superpowers. Um, my superpowers are the ability to get angry quick, um, faster than the speed of light, it seems like sometimes. Um, the ability to aggravate and, um, and uh, say things that I think are hilarious but my children do not think are funny. And uh, also uh, to tell outlandishly untrue stories at bedtime. That, that may be my greatest superpower uh, to the point to where even my own children who know a fair amount about my life have to ask me, Dad, is this, did this really happen? And that's when I say, no, son, that's sad. That, this would be another time your father's lied to you. Um, so... There's many things like that. We're going to be looking at some dad stories today in the Bible. The Bible, in a sense, kind of wrote the book literally on daddy issues. I mean, when you look at some of the dads that are in the Bible, many people I've heard say over the years that the Bible seems to be very male-centric. I think, if anything, because of the amazing women that God highlights in the Word of God, we for sure as men offered a lot of valuable evidence on how not to live life. Uh, that may be why we get to be kind of a uh, focal point in some of the stories. Uh, we're going to be talking about one dad today from the Old Testament. His name's Jacob. Uh, Jacob was the individual who God um, changed his name by his own command from Jacob, which meant trickster, conniver, to Israel, which meant uh, wrestled with God, got to a place to where he he arrived at a place after really struggling spiritually in his life. We're going to be talking about Jacob. Jacob was the third generation of three pretty key generations. Uh, Abraham, who received uh, really God's initial promise for there to be a people, people that he would call his own, that he would show who he was to them. And, and, and even ultimately, as he even said, I'm going to bless the whole world because of you. Uh, Jesus was born into this line of people. And we are truly blessed, every nation on this planet has been blessed by Jesus Christ because we have the gospel. We have the good news that we can know God through him freely, not because of what we've done or what we could do, what our potential is, but just the sheer fact that God insanely loves us and wants us to be his. As we see these generations unfold, um, some really crazy stories come out. I mean, really, really odd stuff. Um, so I'm going to try to catch you up on a few of those today because the passage that we're really aiming at is the passage where if you've ever read it and you're kind of like me, um, it seems a little bit odd, almost odd enough to kind of just read it quickly and walk away from, uh, but it's the passage where Jacob is in fact wrestling, physically wrestling with a theophany, this, this um, somehow manifestation in human form of God. And we're going we're gonna to aim at that because there's some really key lessons that we learn there. Uh, but before we, before we dive in and kind of catch up on some of um, Jacob's story, um, I, I want to I mention three things to you just to make sure we can kind of track with each other the story because you're going to hear some details today that are going to kind of distract you. So I want to kind of mention some of this up front. Um, number one is 
that through all these generations, Jacob's and especially the two that, that precede him, where, where there is promise, where there is promise of God, there is also a great potential for struggle. Uh, in other words, when, when God has proclaimed promise over someone, for instance, over us, when he proclaims salvation over us through his son, Jesus Christ, if we are in a relationship with him, uh, many of us doubt whether or not we're really in that relationship. Um, when, when God talks about, the Bible talks about a lot about our identity in Christ, um, there, there is often a lot of struggle with what that identity really is, what it should be, and then how we live it out really in our lives. We have identity issues as Christians. Uh, we, we go, okay, I, I am saved like it was an event that happened, but it's hard to transfer that sometime into not just an event that happened, but really who am I? Uh, we've talked a little bit of that through our series in Titus that we just finished up. Um, for this particular set of generations, one of God's promises was that he would make them a great nation. And ironically, um, in all three generations, there were some pretty significant uh, fertility struggles. Um, I, I don't say that to say that fertility struggles are somehow the work of Satan or um, God trying to punish people. It's not that. But there was a promise about generations and where there was a lot of struggle that, that, that wedged into relationships was through fertility struggles. Um, the next thing I want to mention is God is a, a good father um, and our badness doesn't change his goodness, but his goodness doesn't change our past. Uh, I don't know if you call it all that, but basically God is good uh, and he's good when I'm bad. Uh, oftentimes, I, I mean, I, I can be actively choosing to sin, but still live in uh, a, a, a very real measure of his goodness. Um, I have a home, I have a family, I have a, a wife and kids, and I have a job, and I have people that are kind to me, and I, I'm in a free country. I mean, there, there's a, a, an extent of his goodness that I just live in. Um, I may not be good on a day. I don't change God. However, even though God is good, he isn't good because he goes back and changes what I've done. He calls me to live for him and, and frames the perspective on how I'm supposed to be able to see and interpret and handle and work with all that I've experienced in life. Um, in these generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, there is relational struggle um, big time that carried over when they, they, they just said, okay, God's good, God blesses us, he's, he's offering us promises. They didn't really go back and say, okay, but now this relationship was broken. Where does there need to be healing? What, what testimony does this need to have now? What apologies need to be made? What lessons do I need to teach my kids? Uh, famously, Abraham... Um, told other men that were in influence because he was scared that his wife was not, in fact, his wife. He said, she's my sister, which in a, it technically was true. It, you you got to read all the story and know all the details. But um, he, he said that to get out of trouble. Well, guess what Isaac did? It's, it's not as popular of a story, but Isaac, his son, does the exact same thing. Uh, you, you don't, guys, just free advice. Um, never just tell somebody that you run into somewhere, no, she's not really my wife. Like, that's it's not going to end well for you. That's, that's not going to really foster any good communication in the relationship. And they lived with this for the rest of their life. Um, the, the third thing I want to just mention before we really dig into this is this. We're, we're going to talk about this thing of blessing today, that, that someone offers a blessing. Now, the blessing in the Bible is very different from the blessing that we're used to. We most, talk, most of the time, we sit down and say, you know, hey, I am blessed. And a lot of times, that talks about um, a, a moment in life where we realize that there's just good things in our life. Um, sometimes we sit down at the table and say, let's, you know, somebody say the blessing, okay? And, and we sit down in front of a, um, 
a, a large pepperoni pizza and a Mountain Dew and say, God bless this to nourish my body. He did, in fact, turn water into wine. But um, if we're really going to hold to that miracle, we're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to eat this pepperoni pizza and I'm going to drink this Mountain Dew. I'm going to confess that to you right now. And somewhere about, I don't know, here, if you'll convert it to a salad. So from here to here, it's still pizza. I can taste it. But from here through the rest of my digestive system, I would rather it not be a grease bomb, right? Like that's, that would be a great thing. Because what our heart really is, is God, just take care of me. Like God, do something good. When we hear blessing in the Bible, this is something that is handed down from a father to a son. Um, in creation, God blesses certain parts of his creation specifically in the ability to reproduce and multiply, to go and continue to live life out. See, blessing always has within its context um, relationship and future. Relationship and future. When it comes from God, it, it, like he's blessing saying, hey, I'm God the Father, I'm provider. I'm blessing you because I have the right to. And, and what I'm blessing you is this message, this vision, this, this plan I have for you into your future. When, when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are giving blessings, they're giving blessings based on a father-son relationship, and, and it means something. There's a weight to this, a weight that we don't probably really feel well. Uh, blessing has a kinship to covenant. It's not the same thing. It's not nearly the same thing, but it kind of has a kinship to covenant. Okay, So when, when you're thinking about blessing, this is not just... This is relational. It, it comes from a, a, a depth of really who God is, really who God is, and what he wants for our future. And, and in, in the Old Testament, some of the stuff that they say, just plain, plainly, just, it just comes true because it's communication from ultimately God and his fathership. Those things are really important to remember because in the details of these stories, some of these stories are just kind of like, what just happened? Now, before I start going through some of these, sometimes you will read a story in the Bible and you will go, now hang on a second. There's no way that happened with what I know that God says is wrong. God says this though about himself, that he's long-suffering. Uh, there are times in the Bible where men especially have multiple wives. God never orchestrated that. He never planned that. He's creation. He said, look, for one man, one woman, faithfulness, purity, and marriage, that's, that's the plan. When, when people choose something, when culture pushes something, does not mean that God, um, that, that's what he wanted. It means that God's long-suffering. If he gives me a free pass today and doesn't kill me for my one sin, that he's going to give you a pass in, in the same way. He, he, he waits for us. He, he welcomes us. He calls us. And he's aware that we tend to find directions that aren't necessarily his. Okay? So, before we dive into this whole wrestling match, I want to kind of give you a little catch-up on Jacob. Jacob was, um, he was a twin. He had a twin brother named Esau. Now, again, at the time that he was born, this is coming out of a season of, of, of infertility uh, with his mom. And, and this is a prayer, really an answered prayer, that he and his brother are born. But the circumstances that they're born in just tend to set the pace, it seems, that this is just not a normal scenario that we're usually used to. I, I want to read you a few verses here uh, because, again, it, and really in creation, we get this little snippet in Genesis, um, and then we get a whole lot of details about others' lives um, in here, even it seems more so. And I'm going to kind of frame that in a reference point at the end of the message. But um, I want to I read in verse 21, and this, kinda, this is really the starting point for Jacob. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. 
But the children um, inside her struggled with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? I mean, literally, just as she was carrying these babies, it felt like a wrestling match inside of her constantly. And she went to God. She was like, what is going on here? Because she wouldn't have known that she had twins necessarily. So um, it says she inquired to the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and he and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. This comes true. Now, it, came, it comes true through deception. God didn't will the deception. God just simply is showing us now in his word. This is one way that God says, listen, I am all-knowing. I know everything that's going to happen. So in knowing everything that's going to happen, that allows me to be in control. This is part of God's um, attributes, his character, that we see just a glimpse of here in the story. Now, here's the, here's the two sons. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb, which confirmed that this was God's message, that he is God. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair, like a fur coat. Ooh. Like, do you ever, you ever been in a hospital? You ever go see somebody? Everybody's real excited, just had the baby, and you walk in the hospital, and they're holding the baby and everything, and just right there at the end, they're like, oh, just come look at it. It's just He, she is so beautiful. And they just pull the blanket down, and you're like, oh, hey! Isn't that life? Isn't that amazing? It's breathing. I mean, like, you're just, you don't even know what to say. Listen, as the babies are being delivered, you got a red toned skin, little Chewbacca. I mean, this is is what it is. It's, I mean, consider the comparison. A fur coat. You, You ever seen a fur coat? You ever rubbed a fur coat? Just imagine that is your child, okay? Now, if this wasn't, like, if, if at this point Isaac's like, mm, okay, um, and he's a little confused. It says this, they named him Esau, and after this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob. Jacob meant trickster. Now, listen, if you're, okay, it, again, furry baby. All right, we got one. As he's just coming out, right at that second, you get an arm, pow, grabs it. If I'm Isaac, I'm like, no, I'm out. Like, God... What I prayed about kids, I love my wife, but maybe this was not your plan. Like, this is just a little bit of a moment that I can't process right now. This is, I mean, think about it. This is the beginning of these two boys' lives. This, if anything, really sets the pace for everything that we find out that comes after this. A few years later, as this passage continues, um, Esau, remember, he's the firstborn. Now, being the firstborn meant you got, um, as culture was developing, you got basically two-thirds of all the inheritance your other brother, sister, whoever it was, or everybody else. If you had 10 kids, one got two-thirds, nine divided the last third, right? So if you're the oldest in the room, congratulations. Try to have that applied to whatever's going on in your life right now. But for those of us that are not, we divide the younger portion. So there were, there were a couple of things that were really key. Number one was the birthright. That was the, that was the place of I am going to inherit that bulk amount. There was the birthright, then there was the blessing. Ultimately, Jacob ends up with both, and he tricks, just like his name says, to get both. To get the birthright, now Esau, uh, he wasn't just a hairy baby. I mean, this was, at at every stage of life, he is the rugged, outdoors hunter. I mean, this is a a in-nature kind of guy, Um, really good hunter. So he, he, he comes in from hunting one day. He's been out hunting all day. 
Um, Jacob, a little softer, a little bit more um, sensitive. Uh, maybe the musician, songwriter, um, poet in the group, we don't know. But, but, but he's inside, and he's fixing dinner. And Esau comes in starving. Uh, I saw a sign the other day at Target. It was a piece of wood with like teeth marks out of it that says, um, forgive me for what I did when I was hungry. I mean, he, he was at that level of just angry and everything. So Jacob steps in there, sees a little bit of a moment. He's, he's a conniver. He's a trickster. He says, listen, um, you know, I, honestly, I got, I got to brag for a second, Esau. Um, what I've made is probably the best thing you've ever tasted, right? The smells are in the room. Everything is just grabbing his attention and saying, I must eat now. Esau's like, well, okay, fine. Give it to me. He says, listen, how about we do a little bit of a trade? Um, I'll give you a meal, um, but you give me your birthright. Now, for most of us, we're like, now, this, this sounds about like the dumbest trade I've ever heard in all my life. Esau's response literally was, okay, yes, I have a birthright, but what good does that do me if I die now of hunger? And for us, we read that story, we're just like, this is just, this is idiotic, Esau. Why would you do that? Now, that's a literal trade-off. Let me, let me, let me kind of... Let me kind of flip the coin for a second and talk to you about some, some bad spiritual moves I've made in my lifetime. Um, from the point that I got saved, I, I've, I've come up on many situations in life when, when, when as saved, um, I, I was um, a child of God. I am a child of God. Um, I, I am an heir of heaven. Um, I, I, I am under the protection, the provision of God. But then there's moments where I'm just hungry for something. And I want it because I want it, and it seems good. And, and my, my, my inheritance, my identity, my birthright calls out, just be patient, just wait. But my passions call out, no, absolutely not. So I trade who I am for what I want. That's probably never happened to you. That might just be my life. But that's the spiritual application of what's going on here. Now, you would think Esau would have just, you know, walked away, just, of course, not mad at all. But, in fact, he was quite angry at this point. Um, Jacob now has his birthright. He's got the right to the family fortune. But there's still this thing of blessing. This moment where Isaac is going to say, Based on my relationship with God, what he's spoken to me about, the blessing that I can hand over, the right that I have to proclaim over you, who you will be, he said, I want that. Because the, the stuff seems nice, but I want it all. So his, his dad was sick. He was actually, even Isaac thought he was near dying. God actually ended up um, elongating his life, but at this point he really thought he was near death. Vision was gone, really couldn't see well, um, not in good condition at all. So he, he told Esau, he said, look, Esau, he said, it, it is time for me to give you this blessing. So he tells Esau, he says, look, um, I, I'm hungry, like I'm weak, but I am hungry. So go out and kill something, hunt something for me. Come in, fix the food, prepare the food, give me a meal, like a, a unbuttoning kind of meal, right? Like give me the unbuttoning kind of meal, and, and I want to give you this blessing. So without the birthright, I mean, think about, think about the weight of the blessing. Esau's like, look, I'll take the blessing. Like if the birthright's gone, I will take the blessing. So he goes out. The, uh, their mom hears it. She plays favorites. Jacob is her favorite. Jacob plays favorites, as we see, as we read later in Scripture. She goes to him. She says, listen, your brother's about to get this blessing. You've got the birthright. You, need, you deserve this blessing. 
And inside Jacob, he said, yeah, pride kicked in. Yeah, I, I, I want this. She said, well, you need to go to your dad and get this. He said, well, well Mom, we got a problem. Um, number one, have you smelled my brother? I take baths. Have you seen my brother? I don't have to shave. I don't have a 5 o'clock shadow. I got smooth skin. I look good. Like, that's not who I am. She says, okay, listen, I, we can fix this. Go in your brother's room. Uh, he, he just comes in from hunting. He just, just throws his clothes over in the corner. It, it's, 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 not, it, it's, it's in the nature of humanity. We've been, you know, men have been throwing their clothes in the corner for, for thousands and thousands of years. She said, just go get something, put it on. That'll take care of the smell. They said, listen, we got to take care of this, this, this issue. Your dad can't see, but he, he might sense that it's not you. So he, he goes and gets the skin that, with the hair salon of a goat and just wraps himself in it. So he goes in to talk to his dad. His dad realizes, ah, this, this voice doesn't sound right. Are you sure you're Esau? Absolutely, dad. Smell me. He's like, yep, you're Esau. You're good, man. How about sitting back for just a second there? Let me recover from that. Here, dad, feel my arm. Yep, rub your skin. Yep, okay, got, you're hairy, son. We're proud of you. You're Esau. He proclaims over Esau this blessing. Now Esau, I mean, I'm sorry, over Jacob this blessing. He has it all now. Esau comes back, has the animals killed. He goes in, he fixes the dinner for him, brings it to his dad, expecting his dad to dig in and get to this blessing thing. I mean, this was finally going to redeem his life. And his dad just goes, whoa, 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 who are you? What do you mean, dad? I'm Esau. No, I just talked to Esau. I just pronounced the blessing over him. He goes, no, 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 I've just fixed you this food. And, and Isaac literally starts shaking because he realizes that this incredibly valuable blessing has now been given to someone that tricked him. Now, many of us look at this story and go, whoa, whoa, time out. It's just some nice words. Call everybody back in the room, call everybody out for doing what they did wrong, and let's straighten this out now. Through God's wisdom, he gives us real-life circumstances to communicate God-level truths. What God is communicating in here is, 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 is once something happens, there's, there's finality there. Like, it, everything can't be changed. Once something is said, it's said, which is the case that we're dealing with here. Now, at this moment, Esau's beyond mad. This is what Esau says. He says, look, there, there is a time of mourning coming. And more or less, he says this, Dad's going to die. And, and I'm not going to disgrace him while he's alive, but once he's dead, I'm killing you. He just tells his brother. He tells everybody. His mom, mom comes to um, Jacob and goes, look, son, this is a bad situation. You need to get away for a little while. I've got a brother named Laban. You need to go spend some time with him. Just kind of get away. He goes in. Isaac's like, yeah, you, you, need, you need to go. You need to go find a wife. You need to find the right wife. And again, Isaac can't go against his blessing. He's, he's having to tell him, you know, you need to make wise decisions. This is what you need to do. So, so he goes. He leaves. And when he leaves, I want, I want to read to you the vow that he makes. Because, see, God continues to come back generation after generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and says, I'm going to keep my promise. Again, remember, God's goodness doesn't go away because of our badness. And he tells Jacob, listen, I'm going to keep my promise. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to get there. You're going to make it. I'm going to do something through your people. And this is what Jacob, after hearing this out loud, God's voice out loud, this is what then Jacob says. He says this in uh, chapter 28, uh, verse, um, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey, 
I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. I mean, really? Like, like if I'm God, see, I would make a horrible God. I, I would be way sarcastic. Like, if, if Jacob, after I pronounced this, this promise over people who just never would earn it, right? It, when he comes up and goes, hey, listen, if you will just make sure I got clothes, make sure I got food, God, you got to be on time, you got to be on point, and if you do all the things I need, God, you'll be my God. I would be up there going, oh, goody, thanks, buddy. I was just sitting up here wondering, as creator of the universe, someone that never makes mistakes, when do I get to be your God? I'm so happy, right? Like, I would be, then that's, again, then the perfectionist thing's gone. And God just patiently, long-suffering, just is patient with him. But this is, this is his mindset. Let me get mine. Let me serve. Let me be served, not serve others. His perspective of God is, do for me and I will acknowledge you. And for most of us, we go, that, that, that is just foolish to even have the audacity to say it. But see, then again, I see my life in this story. And I go, you know what? There's been times where I've quickly acknowledged. Remember, you ever been in a situation where all of a sudden circumstances just work out at the very end and like you just catch your breath and you're like, oh my gosh, that was going to be disastrous. And all of a sudden you realize you're going to survive in whatever the situation is. And you're like, oh, God worked that out as if he wasn't working before. Or, or worse, I, I, I've, I've been too guilty of this. Um, when things just get overly stressful and bad, I go, God, you got to do something here. You, you got to work now. When God surely would go, you know, Derek, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of really like to work with you every day. It's kind of part of my plan here. Really would like to be connected on a, on a more intimate basis regularly. And I expect him boom, boom, boom. Because again, it's like, my, okay, my God, my heart comes to you, but there's this underlying expectation that you'll, you'll work these things out for me. And, and Jacob is living this life. Now, Jacob goes to Laban's house, goes to Laban's house, and he, he sees Two daughters that Laban has. It's, it's Leah and Rachel. Leah's the older one. And when he sees these two girls, immediately, immediately he falls head over heels for Rachel. He is in love with Rachel, okay? This is, this is basically Jacob's um, kind of synopsis of what was happening and, and what he saw, what he observed. Um, if, if you go over in chapter 29, it says this in verse... Um, Verse 15 or 16, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so she answered, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban replied, Better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob, so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. And they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, this was not a bikini culture, okay? This was a culture where you wore long, flowing, loose clothes. So if if, if girl walks in, he's like, ooh, she's shapely. Then she was shapely because she had to be pretty shapely to get the fabric moved in the right direction is what I'm saying, okay? So, But but again, notice, what do you say about uh, Leah? Oh, um, hmm, hey, girl, nice eyes. Like, they almost straight. I mean, what do you, I mean, like, that's what... <laughs> That's kind of, I mean, you, you see what's going on. He, he was in love with Rachel. But here's the deal. So Laban, dad, like has this moment because later, after seven years, that seemed like it flew by because he's so in love, he goes back to me and says, hey, listen, dad, I fulfilled my promise to you. I've worked these seven years. I, I, you're, it's time for you to be my father-in-law, for me to be your son-in-law. I'm, I'm ready for my wife to, to have her, to hold her, to keep her. 
So he, in his own mind, is like, you know what? This, this situation is kind of messed up. Like, Leah is the older daughter. Like, this, this is not how the order is supposed to go. This wasn't just kind of what we imagined. I mean, this was really a social thing when a younger daughter would have gotten married before an older one. I mean, people would have assumed something is wrong. They would have said things, talked a lot about it. So Laban's not real sure about giving Rachel to him as his wife at this moment. So just imagine, a wedding has happened, and then the morning after the first night of the honeymoon. This is the very first statement that we have reporting, reported from the honeymoon suite. When morning came, there was Leah. I'll be honest with you, that had to be a tough conversation to happen in that room, right? Laban comes up to Leah at some point and says, Hey, hey, sweetheart, why don't you try on your sister's wedding dress? And uh, here, wear, wear this veil. But, but Daddy, I can hardly see through it. Yeah, maybe uh, that's probably better. Um, wear the veil, because if you can't see him, then he might not be able to see you, because you really, you really deserve a husband. Your younger sister shouldn't get married before you, so let's just, let's just kind of make this work. And all of a sudden, the next morning after the celebration has happened, after they've gone to bed together that night, he wakes up and he sees not the face of what he thought he was going to see. He saw those tender, beautiful eyes, but he found no shapeliness. He's ticked. He goes to Laban. He's like, whoa, that's wrong, man. We had an agreement. I work for you. And he's like, you know what? You're right. Let's just get this wedding celebration over with. You ever, you ever said something like, like, there's, like a, there's a major stress, there's a major drama issue in your family, and you're like, let's just get through with this party, let's get through with this reunion, let's get through with this ceremony, like, let's get through with this, and then we'll deal with it. He said, Let, let's just get through with this, and then you can also have Rachel as well. Again, uh, this, this story does not mean that God condones um, multiple spouses in marriage. It's just simply what they were pursuing in culture. So he's now married to both of them. And being married to both of them, they start life together. Again, we see infertility come up because where there is God's promise, there is often great struggle. Both Leah and Rachel, it kind of bounces back and forth. Different ones of them at different times struggle with this. It says this about the first four kids. I want to read you this about the first four sons. Remember, there's ultimately 12, 12 tribes of Israel. There's four sons that she has. I want to read this to you. When the Lord, this is uh, still chapter 29, verse uh, 21, um, I'm sorry, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, God saw her. He, he knew what was going on in her life. He, he, he had great compassion for her. He opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, The Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore she named him Levi. She was utterly convinced, If I just have kids, then he'll love me. This marriage will work out. If we have some kids, surely that will make this relationship work. Not that that's ever been thought since then. See, she, she was hurting. She's not Jacob in this story. But consider the pain that she's going through. She's so hurt that she's wanting so badly for this child that she has to open up the heart of her husband to love her in a better way. I mean, she's broken. And, and 
the connection here that we have to make is, is that when we pursue relational decisions and, and achievement-driven goals for the purpose of fulfillment, and they're separate from what God is leading us to and what He's doing in our life, we can't expect for everything to turn out just right. Because if we are who He says we are in Christ, then we can't find fulfillment lacking Him. Notice what happens on number four. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. She said, you know what? God, you've done something in my heart. You've given me kids. You've allowed me to be alive. I have a husband. I have a family that I'm responsible to. God, you are good. I don't need my husband to tell me that I'm beautiful for you to be good, God. I, I realize now you're just good. You just deserve my heart and my attention. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. She had more later, but at this point it stops. If you trace Judah forward, I don't know if you realize, but when you trace Judah forward, you get to Jesus. It's amazing. When God opens your heart to him, how much others are put in the right perspective. If you go to chapter 49, even when Jacob blesses his sons, he says what we know to be prophecy that says that all nations ultimately will bow from the one that comes through his line. And interestingly, if you go into the story of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, when he gets sold into slavery and he actually uses his younger brother as a trap to kind of trick everybody to, like to do this big reveal of who he really is, the one brother that stood up and fought for someone was Judah. The Bible is so beautiful in how it just shows us the gospel and what God's doing this whole time. And I just want to make sure you know he's doing this kind of same stuff in your life too. Just because your life isn't written into here doesn't mean he's not just as active. So now she realizes all that God is doing. Still Jacob, not so much. Jacob lives several more years there. They have other kids um, he has a real rough time with his father-in-law. But ultimately, God comes back to him and says, okay, now it's time. Now it's time for you to go back home. Uh, now it's time for you to move back with family. And again, remember, God has, God has promised over him so many different things. But Esau, I mean, think about it. Who, who's going to be there waiting on Jacob but Esau? If you're Jacob at this point in the story, you realize that God's telling you to do something, but you really don't want to do it. I don't know if you've ever had to go back into a situation, whether it's family or work or wherever, and you're just dreading a situation, maybe because somebody's so mad at you, maybe you realize you did something wrong, and all you can be convinced of is, is what, how rough it's going to be on you. You think about the prodigal son. He, he, he knew that the father loved him deep down, but he was just thinking about, I just need life to be easier. I'll just go work for my dad. He didn't anticipate his dad actually loving him when he got back. For us, one of the great spiritual growth moments in our lives is realizing that even when we've gone far, that God's great love is for us, but it's not just a gift of love, it's a life of love that he wants us to live out for him. So he goes back, and he has got the plan laid out, y'all. Listen, he comes back and he says, listen, I'm going to give him tons of gifts, and he even sets up different lines of people that Esau, as Esau comes to where Jacob is, he's like, look, I'm going to make it, and I'm going to build this situation up to where when my brother comes along towards me, he'll just pass wave after wave after wave of people that will just start to kind of soften him and kind of knock the chip off his shoulder, and maybe when he gets back to me, he'll be nice enough to where I'll survive it. 
Because this is like this is rugged mountain man brother that he's getting ready to go toe to toe with. I don't think he has any um, anything in his mind that says, "Hey, you know what? I think you can survive this fight." But there's another fight that God has in front of him that he never knew to expect. He's Jacob's literally waiting on Esau to get there. It, it's nighttime, and, and Esau's on his way. All these people are positioned to try to ease this apology in that he needs to have. And listen, this is what happens. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Literally, just some guy, some guy shows up. Uh, for all Jacob knows, this is just some guy that looks at him and is just like, hey, we're going to wrestle. I don't know about you, but when I go through you know, stores, when I'm walking around my neighborhood, I don't really want there to be an opportunity where some guy looks at me like from 100 yards away and is like, hmm, I think I'm going to get like body to body with that dude. No, I, like, I don't want that. Not looking for that. Not looking for any like 12-hour guy-to-guy wrestling time. But they engage in this wrestling match, and Jacob is, is such a um, conniver, and he's so manipulative, and he's so out for his own self that any challenge that comes up against him, he just goes into just wanting somehow to win. But somewhere in there, there's a moment. There's a moment when he realizes that the wrestling match that is in front of him is not like normal life that he's been living. We don't have all the details in here. We don't have his, his testimony, but, but somewhere in here he realizes that there's something divine going on. In other words, God is doing something. There's something God is orchestrating in this that's different. See, the, here's the thing. Sometimes we forget this. Um, you ever been in a situation, and one, I'll tell you this. One day, one of my three sons will be able to beat me in basketball. That day just has not happened yet. And I don't plan for that day to happen easily. If they beat me 11 to 10, they'll be bleeding. Right? I mean, like, it's going to go down to a battle. Like, I'm not going to abuse my kids, but, like, if, I want them to earn that victory. If you ever think about this, sometimes when you're, when you're playing games like that with kids, playing a little one-on-one basketball, and, and you let that child win. Let's say that child takes that win literally into their mind and says, I am greater than my father. What happens when they go and then they, they play someone else and just get obliterated? All of a sudden there's a, whoa, hang on a second. I'm, I'm way better than him, but I can't beat this person? Is, is, this, is this place of confusion? See, God realizes in our mind many times if, if, if it's just him pumping us up and we don't really wrestle through our own real issues, he doesn't allow the wrestling match to go on some, he realizes that we're going to walk through life with a fake confidence and we're going to hit a wall and it is going to wreck us. God loves us enough to where he's willing to let us wrestle and wrestle him. See, because when we're wrestling him, we're safe. Because listen, it says that he wrestled him until daybreak when the man saw that he could not defeat him. He struck Jacob's hip, hip socket as they were wrestling and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. This story does not teach that Jacob was stronger than God. This is a, this is a man that God placed in this moment and, and sent to Jacob to fulfill his own words. This is still the voice of God that is speaking. He, he just touched Jacob's hip, just a little pop, and it, pow, out of socket. I, I, my mom called me one night a few years ago, and she said, I need you to come over. She said, I, I can't get up. I get over to her house, and we end up finding out that her hip has broken. It just, pow, just popped. And, and she told me, she said, when it went, she said, I hit the floor. I blacked out. I couldn't do anything. The pain was so bad. I couldn't move. Jacob, all he can do at this moment is just hold on. The pain is real, and it's in there. And, and notice what happens. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Remember, blessing means something to him that it doesn't mean to us. He realizes, God, you were doing something. So I need whatever happens here to be relational between you and me. He's like, God, I'm tired of living through the struggle. I need real relationship talk right now, God. I need a blessing from you. I don't need you to give me good things. I need you to tell me who I am. I need you to tell me where to go. Because he is beyond scared. He realizes it's not just fear. He realizes that he is wrecked. And he's not getting fixed on his own. And notice what it says here. The response of God's voice. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. He said, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is no longer Trickster. It's no longer Shyster. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, prevail doesn't mean he's just, hey, you're, you're a winner. Now, listen to what it means for him to have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? In other words, this is a voice of God. You're wanting to know who I am. We just need to start with who you are. And understand that you've wrestled with God. Just be aware that I'm here. He could have, he would have, Jacob wasn't in a moment to receive everything God had for him. It had to come in stages. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. He said, yet my life has been spared. He had a very good perspective on who God was at this moment. He's like, I don't beat God. I don't connive God. I don't trick God. God has allowed me to live. I want to tell you something this morning. Um, if, if you're breathing, if you're breathing, then, then it's not too late. You said, it's not too late for what? Anything that God has for you. It's not too late to live a faithful life for Him. It's not too late to kick a sin habit that you've got. It's not too late to accept Christ as your Savior because the gospel is true and it's for you. It's not too late to ask your questions of God. It's not too late to come to a place where you do acknowledge, like I've acknowledged many times in my life, that it's not, it's not that you're in the middle of a mess, but you, in fact, are the mess yourself because I've realized that many times myself. It's not too late for any of those things. But listen, just knowing that it's not too late isn't completely enough. Because Jacob's life after this, Jacob's life was not just silky smooth after this. Listen, Jacob had multiple kids. He had one daughter named Dinah, okay? One daughter named Dinah. After he had his relationship with his brother restored and all these relationships started getting restored, those were good things. His daughter in the, in the, in the town that they lived in, the city that they settled in, his daughter was raped. Jacob, because he was, he, he kind of kept reverting back to that old part of him, and he just couldn't let completely all of it go. He was really just trying to figure out the situation. He went back to old Jacob. And when he went back to kind of calculate the situation, figure out what to do, this guy in a weird psychological moment didn't just rape his daughter, but he fell in love with her, brought his dad with him to ask for her hand in marriage. How messed up is that? The brothers coming from the field, they are furious. They've got all what we would call the natural emotions. They're just mad at everything and everybody. And they hear this, this guy who's victimized their, their, their sister wants to marry her. And they're like, no. But they realize their dad reverted back to his old ways for a little bit. And they took action. You know what they did? They actually told the guy, they said, listen, you, you, know, you, you, have, you have ruined our sister. You have offended her. You've offended us. We're not going to let her go into just this evil, as they said, uncircumcised group of people because you've got to get the symbolism of circumcision. So they said, if you want to marry her, you have to have your whole city circumcised. This guy must have been the best politician ever on the planet. He hears that. He's like, okay, so there is a possibility that I can marry her. He goes, and he's like, hey, guys, 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 everybody from down. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, fellas. Hey, fellas, you know, listen, we've been through a lot together in life. You know I've always been there for you. They're like, yeah, man, you know we got your back. 
all right, guys, I just need you to help me out. There's this girl, right? She's, she's kind of she's like the girl. I want to marry her. I got a chance. All right, man, well, what do you got to do? We, like, we got to wow her, surprise her. You, we got we to like pull our money together, buy her some stuff. No, 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 guys. I just got to like get you to help me through a little something. Like we got to do something. It's kind of physical, but like we got to do something that's really a symbol that, that I, I, I can marry her. And they're like, really, a symbol? Like what are we going to do? Like all matching tattoos? No, 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 not tattoos. That's just a needle. This is a little bit more severe. All right, but what are we going to do? Like, what do you mean more severe? Like, we're going like, to, like, carve something on her arm or something? Uh, well, you're going the right direction. It definitely involves a knife. So we're going to need everybody to kind of drop trowel and uh, have a little procedure done. And they're like, for real? And he talks them through it. They do it. They do it. And when they're recovering, their bro- his, her brothers come in, kill everybody. Kill everybody. They just kill them. I mean, they're all just, I mean, like, they're just wincing in pain, and they're just, they're taking them out one by one. Again, like, these stories in the Bible, they don't, they don't, this is not God condoning murder. This is God saying, Lord, I'm patient with y'all. Right? It, it's, it's not too late, but, but when we realize it's not too late, we have to be very cautious that we, that we carry the weight of that blessing, that it's relational with God. That it is, it's his truth, that it's about our future, it's about next steps that we must take. But if we take those steps lightly, we may quickly revert back to some of our old ways. In the end, Jacob makes it into Hebrews 11. He's a hero of the faith. He does trust God, he grows, he takes some major, major steps. If you're a dad here this morning, it's not too late. It's not too late. Your kids haven't gotten too old to spend time with, to instill God's truth in them. Uh, your relationships... Husbands, wives, your relationships aren't too far gone. It's not too late. God can lead you into those. But again, it's, it's, it's about realizing that God's goodness doesn't erase my past. What do I do with what I know, God, what you've shown me? And how do I get to the place of where you want me to be? God gives us hope with this idea that it's not too late. But he also brings into it a responsibility that he really needs us to be aware of when we start to take action in our lives and really live for him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? God's desire for us is to be close to Him, to know Him. And, and He expresses His desire in some, some just insane stories in the Bible. And probably in a way that's not the most effective. I've told you one of those stories this morning. and We didn't read every detail in Scripture, but at the same time, I come in here on Sundays and sometimes I think, gosh, you know, we, there's never even a way that we know all the details of our own lives with each other. I want you to hear that this morning. No matter where you're at, it's not too late. And that message will give hope and it'll, it'll give encouragement. But it doesn't just erase everything and just say, well, it's just a fresh new start. It is, it is a new life in Christ when we're saved. And, and He has new hope for us, grace for us, new every day. But God will, God will grow us so well that He'll be able to take what we've experienced and be able to write some things in the future that would have gone wrong otherwise. He won't just say, you know what, you've done this, I love you, just forget about it. He'll say, listen, I love you, even though you've done this. So how can we grow most effectively coming out of that? How can that hurt become a healing? How can that healing become a ministry into somebody else's life? See, when when this idea of restoration comes up in the Bible, it's not partial, it's full. That's what God wants for you. Our prayer is that you know Him. If you don't, the plan of salvation to know God is very simple. While we're singing, I'd love for you to come forward so we can share that with you. It's that Jesus Christ paid a 
a sin price for you in total and full. And you can claim that price. You can ask God to forgive you. You can give Him your life and your thoughts and in your will. Go into prayer to Him and, and you will be saved. But I don't want you to go on my opinion. I'd rather show you what God says in, in, his, in his Word about it. You can pray that prayer yourself. All we ever ask is please, please check that box on that Connect card so we know, so we can encourage you, send you next steps, and just walk through life with you. We're not about generating numbers and just saying, hey, something happened at Reedy Fort Community Church. We're about building the kingdom. And that's you. If you've got a need going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just pray over you, or you can just come and pray yourself. But if you're discouraged this morning, then take in this, this, this thought to heart. It is not too late. And when you know it's not too late, then you know that God's will for you will start working itself out, that He will give you the boldness, and He will want to touch on different areas of life, but He won't leave you alone through it, and He'll put people around you for it as well. He wants to give you hope and grace. God, thank you so much for your love and your purpose and your, your will in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us in such a wonderful way. God, we love you and we want to adore you and we want to worship you. Or we want to, we won't like Leah to just say, you know what, God, if these things haven't worked for me as I pursue the relationships I've wanted, the things I've wanted, God, let me look to you. God, you get my heart now. Lord, I want to see you work in it. And God, you will flood into our lives. Thank you so much for being God and loving us. As we sing to you now, as we worship you, God, help us to, um, Lord, let it be from a sincere heart that would honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? This front area will be open during this time.